So this year, we want to see Jesus more clearly, right? That's what our uh, thrust is this whole year with this sermon series in Luke. We want to come to know him more as we walk through this gospel each week. And so far, Luke has showed us that Jesus is the one who has come to make all things right, to undo what Adam and Eve had done, to stand where we could not stand, to stand where we cannot stand. He stood against the enemy's attacks and temptations, as we saw. He's come to heal all that was broken, to bring freedom, to set the captives free, as he said uh, two weeks ago. And another way of saying this is that Jesus has come to fill our emptiness. This has been a theme in my mind lately, that Jesus has come to fill our emptiness. And what do I mean by emptiness? Well, it's any place in your life where you don't know the answer. Uh, Where you are aware, you are aware of your own inability to figure out whatever it is uh, that you need to figure out. Or you know that you don't have the power to affect the change that you would like to see happen. You know how you'd like things to be, and yet you can't make that change. You're aware of your powerlessness, your emptiness. My dad's career was in commercial real estate, which I've shared before, I think, with you guys. Um, But he was in commercial real estate in Pittsburgh and the mid-Atlantic region. Um, And commercial real estate, as you know from our president's history, it's it's about making deals, right? The art of the deal. So it's about making deals. At the most basic level, it usually works like this. You have clients with needs. One has space that is available that they would like someone to lease from them. And one of your other clients needs space. So you see the potential for making a deal, trying to line their needs up, and you spend a lot of time helping them see how this deal benefits them. You know, if they take this deal, it's going to make all their wildest dreams come true, all that kind of stuff. And you negotiate, and you try to work out all the different aspects and details to bring this deal together. And if it works out, everyone feels like their needs have been met, and you make a big commission, and they probably use you in the future for when their needs change, right? And if it doesn't work out, you spend a lot of time and effort, and you get nothing for it. That's how uh, the real estate business often works. And my dad has told me about when deals have fallen apart. Uh, And it can be very frustrating. It can leave you with this sense of emptiness. You've just spent however many months working this thing out, and then somebody pulls back from the table and doesn't want anything to do with it. And you have to start all over. And the funny thing is not just that the money didn't come through. That's one of the things when my dad actually shares about deals that didn't go right. It's actually that the vision didn't happen. I've heard my dad refer to these deals, and what bugs him is the unrealized vision. He'd say things like, ah, that would have been a great solution for that community. You know, if they had just put this in and done this, made this change, it would have led to so much growth. And that irks him. But it never happened, right? If you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman, then you know this as well, okay? You understand this implicitly. I remember also when my dad took me fishing uh, to northern Ontario. We used to go to lakes up there uh, where you could only get to them by water plane. And we spent one of our days, we were up there for a week, we spent one of our days fishing for lake trout. 
Now, if you know anything about lake trout, they're very big fish, and they like to stay way down deep in the cold water. And uh, so we put the biggest spoon lures we had on our rods, and we cast them out, and we let out a ton of line to try to get all the way down to the bottom of the lake where these big trout are hanging out. And uh, after trolling around for a while, fishing in freshwater is completely different from fishing down here, I have learned. I know nothing about fishing down here. But uh, anyway, uh, up there it's much more active. And uh, so after trolling for a while, we got a hit. And I was able to set the hook, and then came the fight. As I told you, I'd let out a lot of line. And that thing was pulling hard. I mean, very, very hard. And I had to let it run for a bit, and then I began the process of slowly the pull and the reel, the pull and the reel, the pull and the reel. And I was working, fighting this thing, and I was, it was taking so long that I got tired and I had to let my dad take a turn, you know, and we were taking turns to try to get this thing in. And we got the fish to about six feet below the boat. We could see its side flash, you know, and it was turning. And my dad had the rod at this point, and he made one last final pull to try to reel him up to the surface, and snap! The line broke. And uh, we couldn't believe it, of course, and we realized we had been fighting this fish for almost an hour. And, um, and we came up with nothing. And as with all fishermen's tales, uh, as you know, you know, we're sure that that fish was at least 40 pounds. <laughs> and uh, it was pro- actually probably 50, definitely 50. Big lake trout are usually 40-pound fish, so we're saying it's 50. But we'll never know. We're left with guesses and dreams, right? Those are obviously more trivial examples, but there was emptiness, right? Um, The emptiness we felt after losing that fish didn't really sting that much. It kind of faded away as soon as we caught more fish. You know, we were like, that's it for lake trout. We're not doing them anymore. And uh, we went back to walleye and things like that. And, um, but other kinds of emptiness that we might experience in life can hurt longer and last longer. Um, Have you ever moved to a new place and didn't know anybody. That can take a long time to feel like you actually fit somewhere. Have you ever felt like that? You've just never fit in. I mean, if everybody's having flashbacks to junior high, right? Uh, and feeling awkward at a dance. Or have you ever moved, or excuse me, have you ever uh, started a new job and you thought that this was going to be your dream job and then you discovered that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be? Or like my dad, have you ever worked really, really hard Uh, for something on a deal or something like that and it didn't pay off. Or perhaps you've lost somebody, someone you love, or you feel the threat of losing someone you love, and you know it's going to leave a hole in your life that you don't know how to fill. Emptiness. Jesus has come to fill our emptiness. And the way that he does this is that he often begins with our felt need, okay? Which is usually, it has to do with our physical or material needs, because those are usually the things that get our attention the fastest, right? Um, But he quickly moves from there to our deeper spiritual need. And he brings freedom in both places. He came to set the captives free. And we see him do that today with Simon Peter, both things in our passage. Peter and his friends were just like my dad and I with that massive, probably 60-pound lake trout that got away. Um, You know, they had worked all night long, and they came up with nothing. Not one fish 
Have you ever had that experience? We had, in our family service, one of the boys said, we fished all day and got the tiniest little fish, and that was it. And it was adorable. And, but he knew what Peter's pain was. You know, this, this fruitlessness. It's something that points to the curse of our sin. If you remember in Genesis 3, that work is hard and oftentimes fruitless. Genesis 3 says... Uh, God is telling Adam and Eve the result of their sin. He's saying that cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. This is the way work often plays out. We can work really, really hard and it can feel fruitless. Peter, James, and John in our passage today knew this very well after working all night long. And Jesus met them in that emptiness. He addresses their felt need first, right? He says, put out, your, put out into deeper water and let your nets down. So often the Lord's uh, leading seems very counterintuitive. It just seems to not make any sense oftentimes when he's asking you to do something. It sometimes offends our sensibilities. You can hear Peter's doubt when Jesus tells him to do that. He says it, and there's an exclamation point after he says it. He says, Master, we've been fishing all night, and we have caught nothing. That's his response first. You know, Jesus is like, no, let's just go back out. I mean, you'd be exhausted, right? And Jesus says, oh, just put out deeper and put some nets in. I'm a carpenter, I know. You know? (laughs) You can imagine him. Peter's sitting there thinking... Everybody knows the best fishing is at night, and now you want us to put out into the deep water, and it's full daylight. This is a bad idea. At the same time, Peter goes along with it, even though he thought he knew better. Peter goes along with it because he already had faith brewing inside him by this point. Remember last week, it was his mother-in-law that was sick, and Jesus rebuked the illness out of her, And she was instantly better and completely well and got up and started serving them. So Peter already had an understanding that Jesus, when he says something, something happens. His words have power. And you can hear it in his response. He's hanging his everything on the power of Jesus' word. He says, I've fished all night, we've caught nothing, but at your word... I will let down my nets at your word. Peter's faith in the power of Jesus' word is strong enough, just strong enough to overcome his doubt. He's already seen that the Lord, this guy, there's something different about him. He doesn't know what will happen. Probably nothing, right? He's an experienced fisherman. He's like, "Eh, you know, it's probably going to be fruitless again. But... He has this sneaking suspicion that when Jesus says stuff, stuff happens. And so he wants to see what happens. I wonder, have you ever had your expectations exceeded? Have you ever been waiting for something and then uh, what happens is far better than what you expected? You know, you thought something was going to be pretty good, but then it was great. One of my favorite things about living here in the Low Country is the dolphins. I get to go and look at dolphins on a regular basis. That's awesome. You know, we don't have that in Pittsburgh. We have carp that are disgusting. But uh, anyhow, 
When I get the chance, I love to go down to uh, the Breach Inlet between Sullivan's and Alapalms. And that's often where I will write my sermons down there if I can. I just get to sit and almost probably every other time there are dolphins there feeding. Uh, you know, they're waiting for the fish to get swept in uh, from the tide. And a few weeks ago, I was down there enjoying some time with the Lord and enjoying his creation. And there were a couple dolphins swimming. And um, they were, there were two. And so I decided I'm going to go take a little walk. I walked down to the water and I watched them. They were about 150, 200 yards away, like closer to Isle of Palms. I was on the Sullivan side. And I remember thinking, man, I wish they would swim over closer. That would be so cool if they swam over to my side. And I was about to leave. And I felt this, I'm not even kidding, I felt this still small voice from the Lord, if, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's just this little kind of leading. And I felt him say, just wait one more minute. So I stood there and waited one more I was in these shoes. I was in my fancy shoes. <laughs> and I stood there next to the water and I waited. And I was like, whatever, I'm game, why not? I don't have anything to lose here. And right about after a minute, one of the dolphins, so one of them had gone under. They had gone under over there, and I didn't see them for a while. And then after about the end of the minute, one of them popped up literally about 20 yards away. It was right here and was swimming around. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. It was so close, you know, I could see its eye when it came up and was, you know, breaching the water. And then the coolest thing happened. It came up again, and it was now 10 feet away. And the thing was clearly pushing a fish. Like it was trying to catch something. And it pushed the fish right in to the shallows. I'm not even joking. As close as John is to me. And came in and caught whatever it was and then did this like flip around in the shallow water. And it was just sitting there in such shallow water that half of its body was kind of out of the water. Lying on its side. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, shocked. And with a couple... You know, uh, big thrusts of its tail, it got itself back into the swimmable water, and it breached a couple more times, and then swam away. And I just stood there, you know, just shocked at this whole thing. It was the closest I've ever been to a dolphin, especially a wild dolphin. And I walked back to my car, and there was, you know, as there often are people sitting in their cars at the inlet, there was a woman sitting, parked in her car, and she was like, was that a dolphin? He's like, what the heck? You know, she was like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It came right up to you. I looked like, you know, Dr. Doolittle or Ace Ventura. I was like, you know, come to me, gentle friends. And, um, but, uh, but my expectations in that moment, I had that thought. It was just one of those moments where it was just like, this is God's kind of ridiculous generosity. Because I thought to myself, man, that'd be cool if a dolphin swam over here. And it came... You know, it was so much better than I expected. It was so close. I would have gotten in the water, but I had my nice shoes on, so I didn't, you know, and I would have gotten arrested, so I didn't do that. But um, my expectations were exploded. I'll never forget that moment. And that's what Jesus does with Peter and his friends right here. He fills their emptiness to overload. All right? Peter's like, all right, at your word, we'll do this. And they catch so many fish that their boats began to sink. That's incredible. He doesn't just meet the need, he exceeds it. In the face of this clear display of power over his creation, this complete sovereignty, because that's what this is, Peter is undone. He says, 
Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He becomes aware of his emptiness on a whole other level. Before it was financial, you know, he's going to go home and have to tell his wife, like, oh, we got nothing, and she was going to be like, what? You know, and it was going to be this whole thing. And, um, but now he's like, oh my gosh, I am a sinful man. In the face of the power of God, he could recognize that Jesus had power over the world. He is humbled. And we see this throughout Scripture. Just think of Moses at the burning bush, right? Or think of our passage from Isaiah when he is in the, sees this vision of heaven, you know, and the burning coal that comes. Or Ezekiel and all of his visions. Or John, who saw this happen to Peter and was a part of this. And then he sees all of the revelation that he writes in the book of Revelation. We are humbled when we come before God's holiness, when we see his power. And Jesus' answer to Peter in this moment shows why he came. It echoes what he said when he said, I've come to set the captives free. He came to fill our emptiness, to have mercy on us. His first response is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter was right to be afraid. When you come up against the holiness of God, when you see somebody who has that kind of power, which for him that was an easy thing to catch a bunch of fish, but we would never be able to do that. On our own, that was a lifetime catch. And when you come face to face with God's holiness, it is, a, it is an appropriate response to be afraid. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. That is radical. He shows that he has come to actually save. He says, I'm not here to judge you, but to save you. I'm not going to use my power, this power that you've just seen a fraction of, I'm not going to use that power against you. I'm going to use it for you. I came because you are empty. I came to fill you. And I did it in a very personal way. That was an incredibly personal way to get through to Peter. And he says to him, he doesn't just say, I'm giving you grace. He now gives him a calling, right? He says, from now on, you're going to be catching people. Jesus fills Peter's emptiness, that that awareness of his own brokenness, with grace and purpose. And Peter is brought to his knees. He falls down in front of the Lord. You can imagine him kind of like clinging on Jesus' knees. And Jesus welcomes him in right there. He loves him right there. He gives him new life right there. That's what's happening in this passage. You're going to be catching people from now on. And the fruit is obvious. Peter and James, all rec- Peter, John, and James, all recognize what Jesus has done. That what he's given them far surpasses anything they thought had value and importance before. Their expectations were so far exceeded in this moment that this catch of a lifetime, I mean, that was, their, that was the best deal they could have ever made, right? They, they caught more fish than they'd ever seen. This catch of a lifetime, they just left it. They leave it all. They thought that was their emptiness, their physical, material need. But then they realized that their emptiness was so much greater and that the real work that Jesus had come to do in them was so much more important. And so they leave everything. This amazing catch. It's like me, you know, letting go of that 70. It was definitely 70 pounds, that trout (laughs) that got away. And, uh, 
you know, they leave it all and they follow Jesus. The life that he gives them is far better than anything they thought they had. And this is how the Lord works. You know, it's like that dolphin. Now, you may not see it, though. This is how he is at work in your life right now. It's true. You may not see it yet. You may not feel it yet. You might be in a place where all you're aware of is your emptiness, right? All you can see is the lack in your life. You might be in a place where all you feel is pain. And you know that you can't fill it. You may have tried with all sorts of things. We all do. And they don't satisfy. You've been brought to your end. And you're sitting there often like Peter, who's sitting there like, I'm not even sure you can do anything about this, right? Jesus. But you've heard his word before. You've heard that he died on the cross to forgive your sins. And you've heard that he rose again three days later, conquering death. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. This is the Jesus who has power in his word power over all creation, power to save this lost world. And he is telling you, just wait one more minute. I've come to fill you. I am going to fill you. I'm at work right now. Just trust me. If you're in that place where you're waiting, waiting for your emptiness to be filled, Jesus' promise is for you. His promise is that he has come to meet you in that place, to fill you, to exceed your expectations. And he's going to do it. He's promised you eternal life. He's promised you fellowship with him forever. He's promised you peace. He's going to fill you with grace and purpose so that your faith will overcome your doubt. That's good news for us. And so... Like Peter, we say, at your word, Lord, we'll wait on you. At your word, we will wait on you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your word has power and that when you speak, things happen. And you have spoken over us that we are your children, that you have come to fill our emptiness. And Lord, I pray that you would do that very thing. I pray that you would meet us in our felt need And Lord Jesus, that you would go even deeper and that you would fill us up, that we would uh, understand your grace in new ways in the areas of pain and loss in our lives, that you would fill us up to overflowing. And Lord, that we would be able to rejoice and that we would see that you are the greatest gift we could ever imagine. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be messengers of that good news to the people in our lives, that we would carry this Uh, with us, that we would be used to be fisher men and fisher women of people. So we ask that you would continue to show us your goodness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.